as we read the prayer of illumination together. Creator God, you remind us that the darkness of ignorance and doubt cannot overcome your life-giving word. May your Holy Spirit, who first inspired these words of scripture, shine your light and once again awaken us to the hearing and living of this radiant truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Our reading this morning is from John 3, 1 through 15. This is what Holy Scripture says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees and named, who was named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things that, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. May God bless the reading of this word. Well, good morning. Welcome. My name is Jason. I'm pastor here at King's Church. We've been doing this series in John's Gospel, and here uh, we come to the story of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was at the top of his profession. He was a religious leader in Israel. He was respected, educated, a powerful individual. People looked to Nicodemus for leadership. He was a teacher, probably had many followers, was very pious and devout. And if you and I were to know Nicodemus in his day, we would have looked up to him. We probably would have invited him to come speak at a conference or maybe even on a Sunday morning. So here is this religious, spiritual expert of Israel who had all the answers Coming to Jesus, Jesus who was an uneducated carpenter's son from the backwoods of Galilee. And Nicodemus, who's supposed to have it all figured out, comes to him, we are told in verses 1 and 2, by night. Why does Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? Well, it could be that Nicodemus was scared to be seen talking to Jesus. Jesus had 
gotten a reputation even early on in his ministry for causing problems, for speaking uh, against the religious establishment. Or perhaps Nicodemus didn't want to be disturbed by the crowds that followed Jesus during the day. Could have been one of those reasons, uh, but scholars have noted that John seems to be telling us something here about Nicodemus by the fact that he comes at night. For John, the themes of darkness and light are very prevalent. And you may recall when we looked at the prologue, the beginning of John's Gospel, John talks about the darkness and the light coming into the world. I think John is trying to show us here that Nicodemus symbolizes a spiritual truth here. That there are those who try to be spiritual, try to be religiously educated and competent, and yet they are in darkness. They are not able to know God. Uh, I heard one theologian put it this way, you can get your theology right, and yet your relationship with God can be all wrong. And I think that's what Nicodemus symbolizes for us in our story this morning. Now notice Nicodemus starts the conversation with a compliment of Jesus. He says, Rabbi, I know you're a teacher come from God, because no one can do these signs that, that people have seen without God being with him. And Jesus, instead of saying, why, thank you, Nicodemus, that's very nice of you to say that. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes back at Nicodemus with a statement. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus is trying to show his approval of Jesus, uh, complimenting him, and Jesus deflects it. Jesus basically is saying this to Nicodemus. You think you see God at work? But let me tell you, unless, unless you are born again, you cannot see the works of God, and you cannot know God. Jesus is making a spiritual evaluation of Nicodemus. And this throws Nicodemus completely off balance because Nicodemus, remember, was the well-respected spiritual leader of his day. Jesus should have been honored that Nicodemus came to speak to him. And what do we find? But Jesus actually addressing the fact that Nicodemus' status and reputation and religious aptitude really gets him nowhere with God. That he cannot enter the kingdom of God through climbing the spiritual ladder to God. What Jesus challenges is the very foundation that Nicodemus has built his life on and built his relationship with God on. That he's tried to manufacture enough spirituality that he could be acceptable to God. And Jesus is attacking that by giving him this metaphor of new birth. It's a very powerful image, being born of the Spirit. Uh, Some interpreters say that this Greek word could be interpreted born from above instead of born again. Whichever way you want to understand it, the concept, the idea is the same. But we're going to use it from this new birth perspective. That Jesus is saying you have to be born again. And I think what Jesus is saying is that there's something about the birthing process, there's a spiritual 
reality and spiritual truth we're supposed to understand that relates to our spiritual life, just as it relates to our physical life. Think about what does a baby do to be born into the world physically? Is anything part of the process up to the baby? Does the baby do anything? I think Jesus is showing us the spiritual truth here by telling us we need to be as spiritually helpless, as spiritually passive as a baby being born into the world. And so for those of you who today, maybe you're curious about the Christian faith and you're curious about what it means to be a Christian, I hope you'll find this a very helpful image for you. There is absolutely nothing you can do to be born again spiritually. Now, I want to, I want to show you this image. Now, now, this is an image of a newborn baby. What do babies do when they come into the world? They cry. And that's a good sign, isn't it? It means they're alive. And I want you to spend a moment with me just reflecting on that idea in the spiritual truth hidden within that I think Jesus is trying to get across to us here when it comes to our spiritual new birth. O. Palmer Robertson puts it this way. If you are born from above or born again by the Spirit of God, you will begin your new life by acting just like a newborn baby, just like a newborn. The first thing you will do is cry out. And what is it that you cry out? Well, the imagery is powerful. You think about a baby in the mom, mommy's tummy, the mommy's womb, in that darkness and they come out into the world, and they're blinded by the light, and they cry out. And in the same way, I think Jesus is trying to show us that the spiritual reality is that when you are in darkness, and you think you've got it all together, and you think you've got a handle on life, and God comes along and births you into the spiritual reality that is a relationship with Him, you are overwhelmed by the light that you see, by your own sinfulness, and all you can do is cry out, Jesus, save me. That is what happens when someone comes to new life in Christ. All you can do is cry out, Jesus, save me. And he does. And he will. And if you're looking for God this morning, that is my plea to you. That new life, new birth, being born again is simply an act of turning to Jesus and crying out, save me. That is the truth Jesus wants us to see. Because your temptation is to be like Nicodemus, clean yourself up, become spirit, spiritually competent, climb the ladder to God. And what Jesus is saying is no new birth is the reality and the truth that has to happen to you. You have to be born from above. The Spirit of God has to give you this life. And all you can do is cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. And that's what Jesus is asking Nicodemus to do. Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus, look, you're not trying hard enough. Uh, here, read this book. Or try these steps of spiritual enlightenment. Nick, you need to pray more. You need to read your Bible. 
That these are all these things that you need to do. No, Jesus tells him he doesn't need to do something. He tells him he's helpless to do it on his own. That's what Jesus is telling us. Showing us that we can appear to be a very spiritual person like Nicodemus, but your own spirituality can be the very thing that blinds you from having a relationship with God. And there are some of us in this room that that is happening, even today. You are blinded to the reality of life in Christ because your own spirituality is keeping you at arm's length. And you're not willing to come to that place of helplessness, of new birth. And that really is how that new birth happens, is that helplessness and dependence is where spiritual life is breathed into us by the Spirit of God. It brings to mind a conversation I had at a coffee shop one time with a doctor who was studying for her urology board exams. And she was sharing with me that her husband was a Christian and that she was not. And she was discussing her spiritual background. I was trying to explain to her the Christian faith and the unique teaching that all of us need a hero to save us and that each of us are spiritually helpless. And I wanted to make sure that she understood that Christianity isn't about being a moral person or learning how to be religious. And I tried my very best to explain this principle that Jesus is sharing with Nicodemus, that Jesus came to save us from ourselves, not teach us how to be good people. And she, it was like a light bulb went on for her. And she looked at me and she said, for the first time, she understood why she wasn't a Christian. She said, because I don't believe I'm spiritually helpless. And I thought to myself, okay, you get it. This woman gets it. Because if she's not willing to admit that, she will not have life in Christ. And neither will you. But Jesus goes on here in verse 5. I think this is what he's trying to show us here when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's a curious statement. Commentators and theologians have tried to understand what Jesus is saying here. And I tend to side with those who look to the Old Testament to find the truth of what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus says to Nicodemus, You're a teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, and you don't understand what I'm talking about. And I think what Jesus is pointing to are the prophecies of Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet, who was speaking that one day, he told this prophecy of one day, he says in verse 25 of Ezekiel 36, notice what the Lord says here through his prophet. The Lord will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel is speaking about what it means to be born again. Here he combines those two concepts of water and spirit He's simply saying that God is the one that cleanses us, washes away our impurities, purifies us. He's also the one who empowers us through His Spirit. 
And that's what spiritual birth is, that working of God in your life. And what is so sad is that today, being born again has a connotation in our culture of someone who is what? Self-righteous. It's the exact opposite of what it should be. If we are truly born again, we should be admitting and confessing that it has nothing to do with any righteousness within us. A born-again Christian should be the most humble, self-effacing, non-self-righteous person that there is. If we truly understand what it means to be given this life by God through His Spirit. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting to when he references Moses. At the end of our passage in verse 14 and 15, there's a strange reference Jesus makes here. He talks about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. So much must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And, you know, I have a slide, I think, of if maybe you're familiar with the story. That God sent serpents, God's people were not obeying him, God sent serpents, they were biting, people were dying, and, and God told Moses, create this bronze serpent that people could look to and be healed. And I think at the very core of that whole concept is this truth of our helplessness, and all we are called to do is to look, to believe. At the core of our spirituality, friends, is passivity. Nicodemus represented everything about religious and spiritual activity. Jesus is saying, no, it's about your spiritual passivity. Look. Believe. And Jesus is saying here that just as they looked at the bronze serpent in the desert, now... God's people will look to me as I am lifted up, the Son of Man on the cross for the forgiveness of sin to bring new life. This is what it means to be born again. Admitting your helplessness. Admitting your need. I have this uh, Peanuts cartoon to share with you. Charlie Brown and Linus here are standing on the shore. Charlie Brown picks up a stone he throws the rock into the water. Notice what his good friend Linus says. Nice going. It took that stone 4,000 years to get to shore. Now you've thrown it back. And Charlie Brown, of course, in his Charlie Brown way, says, everything I do makes me feel guilty. And some of you in this room, that pretty much summarizes your spiritual life. Everything you do makes you feel guilty. And unfortunately, sometimes the church and sometimes Christians and sometimes pastors, uh, we're like Linus. We're, we're standing there. We're not helping you. We're just pointing out the things you're not doing and things you're doing wrong and the ways you're not living up to our expectations or your own expectations of what it means to be a Christian. And what I'm asking you this morning is to see you need to hear the voice of Jesus who's calling you to stop and just look and believe 
He's calling you to that place of passivity, of helplessness. And he's saying, that's where life is found in me. And that's what it means to be born again. Jesus is so obstinate. He never gives up on his people. He never gives up on us. And he will never give up on you. And I believe Jesus did not give up on Nicodemus. Even though if you just read our story, it's hard to know how Nicodemus received all this, isn't it? Uh, The only thing we're left with just from our story is Nicodemus said this to Jesus. How could these things be? It was so transformational. It was so radical what Jesus was saying. Nicodemus could not process it. He says, how can these things be? Everything I've lived for, everything I've built my life on has been, you're telling me, is drawing me away from God? Is actually keeping me from knowing God? And if we never heard from Nicodemus again, we might think that Nicodemus never got it. But that would, to under, that would be us underestimating the power of God and what Jesus Christ came to do. Because as we read the Gospels, especially, well, I guess the Gospel of John, we find out, I think, what happened with Nicodemus. If, if you look in chapter 7 of John's Gospel, there's a conversation going on among the Pharisees about arresting Jesus. And it's Nicodemus who comes to Jesus' defense. We're told in, in verse 15 and following, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? Obviously, Nicodemus had not been put off or angry with Jesus. He wasn't insulted by Jesus. Ultimately, I think we begin to see here, Nicodemus' heart had been turned towards Jesus. And this, this is confirmed when we see when Jesus died, who is it that comes to take care of his body? We're told in verse nine, or chapter 19 that it was Joseph who was a disciple of Jesus. Who, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he took his body away, but we're also told somebody else was with him. And it was Nicodemus. It was Nicodemus who earlier had come to see Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. It's Nicodemus who, who comes to care for Jesus' body. And I have to believe it was Nicodemus who had experienced the new birth by this point that Jesus had talked about in chapter 3. Nicodemus, the one who's transformed and changed by his encounter with the living Christ. And I want you to be encouraged this morning that this Jesus is ready and willing and able to transform you. He is willing and able to give you that spiritual life that you're longing for. I love how Anne Lamont describes, and I'll close with this, Anne Lamont describes the pursuit of Jesus and how he ran after her, would not give up on her. 
she put it this way, I never felt like I had much choice with Jesus. He was relentless. I didn't experience him so much as the hound of heaven, as the old description has it, but as the alley cat of heaven who seemed to believe that if it just keeps showing up, meowing outside your door, you'd eventually open up and give him a bowl of milk. I resisted as long as I could, but he wore me out. He won. I was tired and vulnerable, and he won. I let him in. And this is what I said at the moment of my conversion. I said, okay, come in, I quit. How about you? Are you ready to quit? I know I am. And that's what the meal symbolizes that we're about to take. We're about to come together and and feast on the bread and the cup. And in this meal, what it symbolizes is a group of people who are ready to admit their helplessness and say, I quit. Jesus, I'm done trying to do it on my own. I need you. Would you meet me in this moment? And he promises he does. He promises that he is here calling you to come and receive his body and his blood for the forgiveness of your sins so that you might have life in all its fullness. And if that's your desire this morning, we invite you to come and take and eat and be encouraged and be strengthened this morning. We're going to have four stations up front, uh, two up front, two in the back. We're going to have the station up to my left will be this large chalice of grape juice. That will be over here. The other stations will have wine. We'll also have some non-bread options if you would like. Uh, in the two front stations up here. And so let me pray for us as we prepare to take this meal. Lord Jesus, we're at a lot of different places spiritually this morning. Some Some here don't know you. They're curious. Maybe they're asking the right questions. I pray, Jesus, would you meet them in this moment? Would you open their eyes? so that they might cry out to you for you to save them. And Jesus, others of us have been with you for decades. And perhaps we're, we're longing to be revitalized. We're, we're longing for that, that kind of relationship that, where we, we sense your presence and we know you so intimately. Would you meet, meet us? And may your spirit be breathed out upon us as we participate in this meal. We pray in your name. Amen.